On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast, a true crime policy podcast. My name is Kimberly Dudick. I'm an attorney and advocate for crime survivors and legal reform. This is a true crime policy podcast where we explore an unsolved crime over the course of one season, including some important policy issues involved with the case that we will dig into later in the season. If you want to try to end the violence in our communities, push for policy change, and help solve a crime, this is the podcast for you. This season, we're exploring the case of the Lady of the Dunes. With you listening and searching, maybe together we can uncover some new evidence or knowledge that will help identify the Lady of the Dunes and allow her and her family to finally have some peace. Every episode of this season will hopefully bring us one step closer to solving this gruesome mystery. On the last episode, we went back to July 26, 1974 in Provincetown, Massachusetts. The naked and nearly decapitated body of a 20 to 40 year old woman, a Caucasian woman, was found by 12 year old Leslie Metcalf. The woman was missing both hands and one forearm. She was lying in the sand as though she was peacefully sunbathing, but she was clearly dead from a blow to the head. This blow was later determined to be caused from a military entrenchment tool. She was also missing several teeth that appeared to have been removed when she was murdered. Removing teeth is a way to obscure someone's identity because the teeth and dental work of a body can be compared with x-rays or records of dental work done when the victim was alive. Identifying someone by dental records is not as easy as identifying someone with fingerprints, but it is possible. Even though we have come a long way in criminal investigation since the 1970s, there is not some centralized database of dental records for all individuals that investigators can just submit a victim's dental records to in the hopes that it will find a match. Individual dentists have to be contacted or come forward in order to have the dentist records examined and compared with the victims. Because of the way this is done, the passage of time is our enemy. With the passage of time, the possibility of finding a dentist who did this work becomes less and less, and the dentists alive when the Lady of the Dunes body was found either retire, sell their practice, or pass away and their records are destroyed. The Lady of the Dunes had extensive dental work done. It is estimated that the dental work she had was at the time worth between $5,000 and $8,000, possibly up to $10,000. Just to give you a frame of reference, if that dental work was to be done in 2021, it would cost between $27,000 and nearly $44,000. So it was extensive, expensive, and it was also rare for someone to have had that much dental work done 
like that in the 1970s. The fact that her teeth were well taken care of and she had such expensive dental work, which was not common, logically means she was a person who could somehow afford to take care of herself. Interestingly, although her teeth were removed, the killer failed to remove all of her teeth and all of the dental work. Some of the dental work remained with her remaining teeth. Speculation has been made that her dental work and the records involved were probably why some of the teeth were removed. Her dental work was said to be done in a New York style. Describing it this way was interesting to me, and I looked into what it could mean. You may be wondering that too. So I researched this phrasing, but could not find that it means anything officially, or that it was some sort of term of art. So we can only assume it meant that the dental work seemed well done and was extensive and expensive. I guess you could easily obtain something like that in a big city like New York City. I did not see any evidence to indicate that a New York dentist or any other dentist ever came forward to say that that's my dental work. I did that. But maybe they will. Or maybe one of our listeners knew a person or knew a group of people who in the early 1970s had such dental work. Maybe one of them, a woman, 20 to 40 years old, with auburn colored hair, disappeared without explanation. With all of the gold crowns the victim had, another reason her teeth may have been removed was that they also had gold crowns and the killer was going to sell the crowns for money. Gold is always a good currency to trade in. I wanted to look into this possibility a little bit more. I wondered whether you could actually sell or pawn somebody's gold teeth, or at least their gold crowns. Because if you think about it, it could be considered pretty morbid. You're essentially pawning someone's body part. Hopefully the tooth is no longer in the crown. I guess you could just smash the tooth with a hammer and then take the parts out of the gold crown and you would just have the remaining crown. You have to wonder how someone comes into possession of gold crowns to pawn, especially if they have quite a few of the crowns from numerous teeth. Maybe one could be a gold crown of theirs, but why would somebody have a large quantity of gold crowns from teeth? I'm curious. If you have the answers, let me know. So who buys gold crowns? Well, gold buyers can be either individuals or pawn shops. I couldn't locate individual gold buyers to research, but I did look into pawn shops. Many pawn shops have websites offering to buy dental gold, which includes gold crowns and gold bridges. And if the Lady of the Dunes teeth were taken, she had gold crowns on those teeth, then they could have been pawned for money. If you're not familiar with pawn shops, let me tell you a little bit about them. Pawn shops are where you can go with some items, present the item to the store to sell, or to have a loan with the item as collateral. If you use it as collateral, that means that the store will give you money and you can go back later 
and pay back the money you receive for the item with a fee attached to the loan. And then you will have the item back in your possession. It's kind of like a bank, kind of like a bank loan, but it is definitely not a bank. According to a December 23rd, 1974, New York Times article entitled, Hard Times Are Hard for Pawnbrokers Too, by Frank J. Prile, in 1974, the number of licensed pawn shops was declining and the business atmosphere was becoming harder for the pawn shops. The article stated that according to the Department of Consumer Affairs in New York City, in 1970, there were 62 licensed pawn shops in the city. But then, as of 1974 in November, there were only 37. The reason for this decrease was stated to be because people who pawned their goods for money were not coming back for the goods, leading the pawn shops to then have to try to sell the item to make their money back. And this business model with the slowdown in redemptions was causing many of the businesses to fail. Now, I know this is New York City that we are just talking about, but it is relevant to Massachusetts because they're only a little under 300 miles apart from each other. And the drive between them is only about five and a half hours, according to Google Maps. If someone removed the Lady of the Dunes teeth because she had extensive gold dental work that they wanted to pawn for money, it is definitely conceivable that they may drive to New York City, a much larger town with many more pawn shops in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and that they were going there to pawn them for money. And it's quite the link because the investigators had already said that she had dental work done in the New York style. So maybe she was from New York City or her killer was too. And that person killed her in Massachusetts, removed her teeth, and then took the gold back to New York with them to pawn her teeth and her gold crowns for money. Pawn shops really aren't uncommon. In 2021, there are reported 10,165 pawn shops across the U.S. and the industry is growing, so the slump that it saw in the 70s has obviously passed. But pawn shops are definitely more common in a state like New York than in Massachusetts. In 2020, Massachusetts had the sixth lowest number of pawn shops by population density. Only one pawn shop for every 34,415 people. There was a total of 196 pawn shops in all of Massachusetts. New York, on the other hand, had one pawn shop for every 28,125 people. And with New York's population being much higher, there was a total of 689 pawn shops in New York. Pawn shops buy all kinds of precious metals and jewelry, and the value of gold crowns differs depending upon the gold alloy used and the weight of the crown. I'm not sure exactly how much you could sell a gold crown for in 1974, but according to crownbuyers.com, today you can expect to receive as much as $200 for gold dental work, with the range usually between $40 and $90 for a gold crown. Now taking inflation into account and going back to 1974, 
this would give you an average of $7.50 or up to $37 per gold crown. And here's a little history about gold crowns. In my research, I learned that gold dental crowns were first used over 1900 years ago. While other metals have been used in the many years since then, gold was noted to be a material of choice for almost all metal crowns for centuries. And I'm not saying that all gold crowns that are sold come from murder victims, but it is a possibility in at least some cases. And it's definitely a possibility in this case. You have to wonder if there were any pawn shops or individual gold collectors, especially in the Northeast U.S., around the area by Provincetown, Massachusetts, that had someone come in in the months following July 26, 1974, to pawn a few gold crowns. And did they explain where they came from or were they even asked? Her teeth that were removed have never been found. They have never shown up at a pawn shop for their gold value, well, at least that we know of, and no dentist has ever reported that they recognized the dental work as from one of their patients. But the possibility of a dentist being the key to the Lady of the Dunes identity still exists if only the right person comes forward or learns what has happened. Now back to the Lady of the Dunes. She's a victim in this case. We've been talking about this all rather clinically today, but remember at the heart of this story is a woman that was violently killed. She had her life taken from her and her family and friends have had years and decades of holidays and birthdays passing without knowledge of what happened to her. And the violations to the woman's body didn't stop with her murder and the dismemberment or even the removal of her teeth. She was also sexually assaulted. It is reported that she was assaulted with some sort of block of wood post-mortem. Now what post-mortem means is that it was after she died. So this means she was sexually assaulted with a piece of wood after she was killed. No weapon or piece of wood used for this assault was found at the scene or anywhere else. As we've talked about before, the killer went to extremes so as to not allow the Lady of the Dunes to be identified. This murder occurred in 1974, before the DNA and database-rich world that we live in in 2021. However, law enforcement still had ways to identify someone. In 1924, the FBI created their first fingerprint database known as APHIS. You may have heard of it. It's the Automated Fingerprint Identification System. Through this, it has collected, classified, and exchanged fingerprint records in order to identify people and support activities of local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. Because her fingers were removed, and with them her fingerprints, some speculate that she may have had a criminal past and thus had been fingerprinted because of an arrest. 
Therefore, the killer removed her hands and fingerprints so that they could not be used to identify her. But that's really purely speculation, and there is no evidence that this victim of the terrible crime that we're talking about had a criminal past. But even if she did, it does not excuse in any way what was done to her. Both hands and one forearm were missing. Her hands could have been removed to hide her fingerprints, but why would a forearm be removed? Well, I can think of a couple reasons, and maybe you can think of some too. Her forearm may have been removed if she'd had a broken arm at some point in her life, and then she had x-rays done. This would have been a sort of identifying break in the bone that a doctor could have identified her with by comparing the x-rays of the body with x-rays the doctor previously took when she was alive. Similar to dental records. Or removing her forearm could be done because she had a tattoo or some birthmark or identifying moles or scarring, something that would be identifying for who she was. If it was a tattoo especially, it could have identified her killer. Imagine if the killer's name was tattooed on her arm. Both of her hands and the forearm are still missing and have never been found. With her teeth missing, her hands missing, and her forearm missing, some investigators believe this definitely shows the killer wanted to hide either the victim's identity or that somehow the killer's identity could be traced back to them through these body parts of the Lady of the Dunes. And it seems to be pretty good speculation on behalf of the investigators. The woman was not identified even though there was a rush of activity that occurred, especially right after her murder, to try and identify her. When she was found, the police poured through thousands of missing persons cases. They looked at a list of approved vehicles that could have been driven into the area where she was found because vehicles driving in that area were monitored. But no matches or helpful information was found. So let's talk about the scene a little bit more. The scene where the Lady of the Dunes body was discovered. The scene where she was found did not have a lot of evidence for investigators to work with. Extensive searches of the surrounding dunes in the area were done, but no additional evidence was found. The sand surrounding the beach blanket where her body was found was not disturbed. It has been speculated that she may have been resting or sleeping when she was killed or that maybe she was laying on the blanket with the person who then killed her and she was really comfortable with that person being there. Of course, before they killed her. But it's also possible that she might have been moved to that spot from somewhere else. Somewhere else where she was originally murdered. If you think about the damage done to her body after she was murdered, her hands were removed. Her forearm was removed. Her teeth were removed. She was nearly decapitated. She was raped with a wooden object. It seems extraordinary that the scene and sand around her body could look undisturbed if she had been killed there. 
Now let's talk about what was found with her. There was a pair of Wrangler jeans that were folded and a blue bandana, but notably absent in her clothing is any mention of a top or undergarments of any kind. No bra, no underwear, not even a bikini top or other kind of swimsuit. No shoes, no purse or car keys, no sunscreen, suntan oil, or even lip balm. Of course, all of these items could have been there and the killer could have taken them when they left. Or maybe she didn't bring any of those with her. But then how did she get there if there were no car keys and no car? Did she walk? Or did she drive with somebody else who then took the keys away? Missing persons reports for the time did not generate any leads. It seems that even though she was missing, no one seemed to care or even know that their loved one was missing. With her name still being unknown, she became known as the Lady of the Dunes or sometimes called the Lady in the Dunes. Eventually it was determined that her case had gone cold and she was buried. She was buried in October of 1974, just months after her body was found. She was buried in a local Provincetown Catholic cemetery. A small marker was put on her grave that was inscribed only with unknown female. Now, nearly 50 years after the anniversary of the date when she was found, we still do not know who she was, what happened to her, or who killed her. But let's talk about what you can do if you want to help and be part of the reform crew working to help identify the Lady of the Dunes. This is what we know. In July of 1974, a Caucasian woman, 20 to 40 years old, with long auburn hair, extensive dental work with gold crowns, and possibly a tattoo on her forearm, or some other type of identifying mark on her forearm, went missing. There have been composite pictures of her made over the years. We've posted these to our website. The Provincetown Police Department keeps all of these pictures and her information public on a website page, possibly hoping someone will see it and help identify her. Let's see if we can help identify her. Are there missing persons reports from 1974 describing someone like her? Have you heard of somebody who went missing who fits her description? Have you heard stories growing up or in your neighborhood about something like this? Do you know any dentists that used to regularly perform dental work in the 1970s and give people a lot of gold crowns? Or perhaps you're a dentist and you used to do this kind of work. Maybe somebody who did this dental work was afraid to come forward in 1974 because of what happened to Lady of the Dunes. But it's nearly 50 years later now, so hopefully any threat to that person, if they came forward, would be gone. And we could identify the Lady of the Dunes because of her dental work. Or maybe there's a pawn shop out there that has records going back to 1974 and has records showing that in the months after July 26, 1974, somebody came in and they pawned a lot of gold crowns. Maybe that's something to follow up on. 
If you have any relevant information, please feel free to reach out to us at thereformpod at gmail.com and we'll forward the information to the proper authorities. You can also contact the Provincetown Police Department. Stay tuned next week where we're going to continue digging into the Lady of the Dunes mystery and what happened in her investigation after her body was found. We're going to be talking about when her body was exhumed and why and what additional evidence was found or was not found with those exhumations. We want to fully thank and recognize all of our sources and their work. There are a lot of them. A full list and links are available on our website, thereformpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to The Reform Podcast. Before we go, if you want to support the work we're doing, please go to our website at thereformpodcast.com and you can support us there. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use. Your voice truly matters. You can join us on Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content. If you can't wait until the next episode is released to find out what happens, if you subscribe to Patreon, you actually get to listen to episodes early and you don't have to wait until the release date. The Reform Podcast is written, researched, recorded, and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow The Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at The Reform Podcast, on Facebook at The Reform Podcast, or on Twitter at The Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We are recording this show in Missoula, Montana, on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pondere, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the United States. And listeners, wherever you are, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep searching for justice. By a darling when the door locked in my little finger Walked hand in hand And that was just the sound of a word or a sticker My thumb against some wood or something I, I got nothing planned And when the room is quiet It's either one of two religions Joyful noise or a wide open space The letter pulls you short from a crowded room With your pocketbook in your heart and your mind out of place Be mine Be mine Be mine Be Is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those 
you hold close And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle of solace You see, you are what it needs most Be mine